0: I thank God for all who have led us in this joyful service of worship today. As we are starting a new sermon series, I just want to remind you that we do have a sermon podcast. If you go to your podcasts and search Second Baptist RVA, you'll find our podcast there. Search Second Baptist RVA. You can keep up with all the messages preached here at Second Baptist Church. Today we start a new sermon series called Give Me Jesus. We're going to be looking at various accounts in the Gospels about our Savior. Today, I want to draw your attention to Mark chapter 10. I'll read verses 13 through 16 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of the sermon is Blessing the Children. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms laid his hands on them and blessed them let us pray oh Lord in this preaching moment I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word help them to hear your word and Lord help us all to do your word I pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the greatest blessings of church life is the children. Children transmit joy through their laughter at Wednesday night supper, their banter on the church playground, and their voices singing in worship. Children bring a special energy that no other demographic can supply. They flash bright smiles, tell fun stories, and ask penetrating questions. They demonstrate pure forms of love and honest expressions of faith. Their Sunday school artwork alone is enough to delight and inspire countless adult believers in the christian mindset children are valued not only for what they might become but also for who they already are children are appreciated not only for their prospective possibilities but also for their current contributions Children are regarded not only as the future of the church, but also as the present. Their value is intrinsic, after all, not potential. We learn all this from Jesus Himself. As people brought their little kids to Him, He warmly welcomed them and elevated them as spiritual paragons for adults to emulate. According to Bible scholar Douglas Hare, this little story was treasured by the early church as authorization for including children in the church. Whereas pagan mystery religions tended to segregate men and women and exclude children... The Christian faith brought people together as families. A brief examination of the ancient historical context can illuminate the countercultural nature of Jesus's posture toward kids and just how radical his acknowledgement of their personhood was. While we moderns often view children through idealized notions of innocence, the ancients viewed children mainly in terms of vulnerability. Not only were children considered weak and dependent, but Roman law left them without any rights or protections. As Bible scholar Feme Perkins bluntly states, The child in antiquity was a non-person. Officially discounted in the legal sphere, children were further disparaged by society at large. Bible scholar Catherine Tempty examined Greco-Roman and Jewish writings that are contemporaneous with Mark's gospel in order to study how children were assessed by ancient adults. She found that while children may have been enjoyed and loved, children in ancient literature are typically considered in a derogatory sense. In the first century, children were seen as physically puny, morally deficient, and intellectually incapable. They were known for being naive, for being interested in small or petty things, and for lacking a sense of the greater world and its importance. While moderns often evaluate children in terms of age-appropriate development, ancients viewed children as faulty, especially in comparison to the ideal adult male within patriarchal cultures. Tempty's research found that children rarely are commented on positively at all in ancient literature. She writes, children may be adorable, but not often admirable. These attitudes formed the cultural backdrop within which people were bringing their little children to Jesus. The Greek term translated little children can refer to infants, toddlers, elementary school age kids, even twelve-year-olds. Evidently, Jesus was the kind of person that parents wanted their children to be around. He seemed approachable and available even to the little ones. In their estimation, Jesus wasn't just a minister. He was also a children's minister. Specifically, they were bringing their kids in hopes that Jesus might touch them to receive a touch from Jesus or to touch Him was rife with beneficial possibilities. In Mark 1, Jesus touched a man with leprosy and he was made clean. In Mark 5, a woman with a long-standing issue of blood touched the edge of Jesus' garment and she was healed. In Mark 8, Jesus touched a man who was blind, and he was enabled to see. Perhaps these parents had caught wind of the transformative power of Jesus' touch, or perhaps they simply wanted this holy teacher to grant their kids a special blessing. In any case, here they came, crowds of parents with their children, like Santa Claus was at the mall. (laughs) Here they came, throngs of grown-ups with their little tykes, as if Mickey Mouse was signing autographs and taking pictures. Here they came, all of them together, but the disciples cut them off. They spoke sternly to the moms with babies on their hips. They admonished the dads with toddlers on their shoulders. The Greek term indicates that the disciples rebuked them reproved them, or reprimanded them. Jesus has no time for your little ankle biters, they said. Don't you know he's too important for your runny-nosed rugrats and fussy babies, they said. Move along, folks. Move along, they said, as they put up the red velvet ropes and shooed people away. The disciples were blowing it. They should have known better. Shortly prior to this incident, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus put a little child before them and said, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. It sounds like just as you did it to one of the least of these children, you did it to me. And yet when actual people brought actual kids to Jesus, the disciples suddenly morphed into a security team to keep the little munchkins at bay. Perhaps the disciples had been so deeply shaped by society's devaluation of children that they struggled to apply Jesus's radical teaching that to welcome a child is to welcome him. In any case, when Jesus saw the disciples obstructing the kids, he was indignant. He was upset. He was angry. He was mad. He was fired up. He kicked over the red velvet ropes and said, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Jesus demands that children have access to him. He's not too important for them. They're too important to ignore. He's not too high and mighty for them. They're too significant to neglect. He's not too good for them. They're too precious to overlook. The stated reason is that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. They might not have any rights in Greco-Roman culture, but they have every right to the kingdom of God. They may not have any standing in the broader society, but they have full standing in the kingdom of God. They might not be granted personhood by the systems of this World, But they have full personhood in the kingdom of God. Where God reigns, kids are not overlooked. Where God reigns, kids are not undervalued. Where God reigns, kids are not neglected. Where God reigns, kids are not mistreated. Where God reigns, kids are not abused. Where God reigns, kids are not deprived, ignored, manipulated, harmed, or brushed aside. Where God reigns, Kids are welcome front and center. Kids are valued as priceless treasure. And kids are lifted up as spiritual role models. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it, Jesus says. The kingdom is not earned like a paycheck. The kingdom is not won like a competition. The kingdom is not merited like an award. The kingdom is received as a gift. Adults can be bashful when receiving gifts, even unwilling at times. Our grown-up pride can make us hesitant to receive a gift of pure grace. But most children will gladly receive a jacket when they're freezing cold or a cup of water when they're thirsty or a five dollar bill when the ice cream truck is coming down the street likewise we receive the kingdom of god as a sheer gift what's more we enter god's kingdom like a child have you ever been to a place that had a special children's entrance. Once while traveling through Georgia, my family and I stopped at a restaurant where they had regular doors to enter and exit, but they also had a small, special door for kids. It was beautifully decorated and clearly marked, and our kids loved it because it was just their size. Adults could use the kitty door, too. I saw some adults using it. I tried to use it myself. Adults could use the kitty door, but only if we were willing to bend down, contort our bodies, and make ourselves small enough to fit. I think Jesus is indicating that the entrance to God's kingdom is like a special kid-sized door. For adults to enter we can't just walk in as we are we have to make ourselves small we have to contort ourselves into a humbler form we have to bend and twist and stretch ourselves to embody the lowliness befitting God's kingdom people who are too high on themselves won't fit Grown-ups that are too prideful and too self-reliant simply cannot enter the kingdom where children set the example of vulnerability, lowliness, and humility. It's like the camel through the eye of the needle. There's no entrance to God's kingdom except the kitty door. Most adults are interested in what kids will be when they grow up but Jesus seems more interested in what adults can be when we grow down after pointing out the spiritual exemplariness of kids Jesus matches his words of welcome with deeds of love he pairs his verbiage with corresponding actions He takes the little children into his arms, lays his hands on them, and blesses them. The kids thus receive the holy touch for which their parents had hoped. According to Bible scholar Joel Marcus, there is not much evidence that rabbis or other ancient holy men habitually blessed children. But Jesus did. Indeed, the language of this text suggests that this was not a one time event. He embraced helpless babies, he welcomed vulnerable toddlers, he blessed undervalued youngsters that the disciples sought to keep away. They presumed. Jesus had better things to do than hold babies or entertain nine-year-olds. They presumed children were beneath the dignity of the Lord. Did they not notice that Jesus' ministry had a pediatric component throughout? In Mark 5, he revived a 12-year-old who had died. In Mark 7, he healed the young daughter of a Syrophoenician woman. And in Mark 9, he cast an unclean spirit out of a little boy. Still, this instance of blessing the children may be the tenderest moment in Jesus' entire public ministry. Think of it. He who calmed the raging sea calmly welcomed children into his presence. He who fiercely stormed the temple (laughs) gently took infants into his arms. He who blasted the hypocrisy of the religious establishment delicately entertained kindergartners. He who boldly defied rulers and authorities tenderly received fifth graders into his company. To Christ, children are not a bother but a blessing. To Christ, children are not an annoyance, but an asset. To Christ, children are not devalued, but cherished. Children are awesome. Children are delightful. Children are terrific. Children are brilliant, valuable, phenomenal people. Christ loves children with runny noses and fussy cries. He loves children with messy hair and sleepy eyes. He loves children with pacifiers in their mouths and loveys in their hands. He loves children in the projects and children in the mountains. He loves children in dance class and children playing ball. He loves children in daycare and children at the hospital. He loves children on the spectrum and children with anxiety. He loves children in foster care and children in our own creative learning center. He loves children in the mosque, children in the temple, children on the streets, children at the church. He loves uh, children migrating across dangerous territory with their desperate parents. He loves children that have slept in the subway tunnels in Kiev. He loves children that are cowering amid the ongoing explosions in Sudan. He loves children doing school safety drills that never should have become necessary. He loves children not only for what they might become, but also for what they already are. He loves children not only because of their prospective potential, but also because of their current contributions. He loves children not only because they're adorable, but also because they are admirable. Their smallness, their dependence, their humility, their lack of self-consciousness, their lack of pretentiousness, and their receptivity are exemplary in God's kingdom. The way they have to trust someone bigger and stronger than they are captures what it means to have faith in the reign of God. We can learn so very much from the faith of kids. Christ has a special connection with them and they with Him. Years ago, at another church I served, there was a young girl around the age of eight or nine. She had spoken with her parents about her personal faith in Christ and her desire to be baptized. But when they brought her to talk with me at the church, she clammed up. I found this totally understandable because it happens all the time. It can be intimidating to talk with the pastor, even if the pastor tries to be as gentle and approachable as possible. But her parents were at a loss because she had been so communicative with them about her deep personal faith and her strong desire to be baptized. I told them not to worry about it one bit and so I went over some of the meanings of baptism with her as she listened quietly a little later we had another conversation and still the young girl would not say a word her parents were waiting just outside the door this time as I talked with her about the death of Christ on the cross about his resurrection from the dead on the third day and about what it means to profess that Jesus is Lord curled up in a tiny ball on the chair in my office she was clearly nervous but listening intently to every word finally I said very gently you don't have to say anything if you don't want to but If you want to share with me about why you want to have faith in Jesus and why you want to be baptized, I would love to hear. And with a quivering lip and a tear rolling down her cheek, she said, Because he's my God, and I love him. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen.